but I want to say thank God for Calvary this morning. Thank God he rescued me from Adam's fall. I was born a sinner. I was a sinner by birth. I was a sinner by choice. I'm a sinner by nature. But thanks be to God for Calvary. My sin's been paid for. Uh, I don't understand it all. I can't really explain it very well. You'll probably go home scratching your head trying to think about it. But somehow God in eternity's past and all the way to eternity future scooped up every single sin I've ever committed. I am committing and I will commit and he bore it all on the cross of Calvary. One lady said, preacher, how can God forgive the sins that I've yet to commit? How can God forget the sins that are in my future? He said, you've got to realize that at some point all your sins were still in the future. In God forgave them all. I'm glad that, listen, if he could not do that, there would be an opportunity, there would be a chance that one day my sin would not be paid for if he forgot one, if he left one out, if one snuck in. But God took every single sin from the day of your birth to the day of your death, born in his body on the cross of Calvary and paid for it completely and totally this morning. And that is what is necessary and needed for you to believe to be saved by the grace of God. It ain't a work, it ain't a privilege, it ain't, a, it ain't an ability, it's you believing that Jesus did that for you. Let me ask you this more real quickly, have you done that? Have you done that? <laughs> April 3rd, 2015, I agreed with God and said, Lord, you did that for me and I believe it. And ever since then, things have been different. Things have been different. Miss Holly was singing that song and I didn't come to preach on none of this this morning, but I'd encourage you I'd encourage you to, to be weary, not to be weary, but be cautious when it comes to watching depictions of biblical stories. Why, preacher? I wouldn't let some other man's imagination tell you what happened in the Bible. Why? The Holy Spirit's good enough at revealing that to you himself. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying go home with your Bible today or sometime soon, flip open to the Gospels and walk to Calvary with them. Read it slow, read it deliberately, and let's say, Lord, let, it, let me see it in my mind. Can I say, I think Charleston Heston did a great job. But can I say, if you let God begin to let you walk in the scriptures, he'll let you see things that Charleston Heston didn't say and didn't depict. The Bible's alive this morning. We don't need a movie to understand it. We don't need a movie to make, it see, make sense. I'm not speaking bad about it, I'm just saying... Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. Let him give you a, a mind's view of what Calvary looked like to you. I'd encourage you to do that. If you have your Bibles this morning, take them and open up to Psalm 140. If you're in children's church this morning, you can be dismissed. Head back there with Miss Holly. You have need of the nursery. It's back there through the double doors as well. But Psalm 140 this morning. And uh, my heart's already full. And the Lord gave me something as I was studying for this morning. Be back tonight at 6 o'clock, 4 o'clock for choir practice musicians, 4.30 singers. And uh, I'm so good, I don't need to come to choir practice. But I'll be here. I'll be here in spirit and I'll be here in bodily form as well. And, uh, but I, I'm, just, I'm just kidding with you. Uh, I don't, no amount of practice could help somebody like me. Uh, there's just some things I just, you just can't do, no matter how hard you try. And singing on key is one of those for me. And uh, I've tried, I've, I've, I've put effort in, and I don't sing on key, and when the key changes, I don't, I don't match it, I just sing louder. Because uh, in my mind, that's how that works. You just have to get louder to hit the higher note. Uh, and it doesn't, it, I don't meet the note, I don't match the note, my voice is just louder, which makes it sound even worse. 
But Psalm 140, Psalm 140, uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4 this morning and preach on this thought, deliver me, O Lord. Deliver me. O Lord, look at verse number 1. If you're there, say amen. If you're glad you're saved by the grace of God, say hallelujah. Amen. Look, it says, verse number one, deliver me, O Lord, from the evil man. Preserve me from the violent man, which imagine mischiefs in their heart. Continually are they gathered together for war. They have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Adder's poison is under their lips, Selah. Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from the violent man who have purposed to overthrow my goings. Let's pray to Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord, just so thankful and grateful, Lord, to be saved by the grace of God, to have knowledge of biblical salvation. Lord, I'm so thankful this morning, Lord, you didn't let me die in religion. Lord, I thought I had it all figured out. I was good enough. I had done enough sacraments. I, had, I, had, I, I was doing enough good things. Lord, all my good things and my good heart and my good intention, God, I would have wound up in hell. But thank God for your word and a man who was willing to stand behind the pulpit and preach it week in and week out. Thank you for men who have come before Lord, who have blazed the trail. Lord, as I was reminded this week, Lord, we don't need to blaze anything new. Lord, there's nothing new under the sun. We just make sure, Lord, the past that worked, the old past, the right stuff is where we find ourselves. Lord, I want to take the old highway. Lord, I don't want to be a castaway. Lord, I don't want to walk off into something just because it sounds good and it feels good. Lord, I want to be exactly where you want me to be. And I pray, Lord, this morning that you'd hide me behind the cross of Calvary. Oh, Lord, would you get me out of myself, Lord, and fill me with your spirit. Lord, I pray, Lord, for the next few moments, God, would you still our minds. Lord, there's a lot that is going on in life outside of these walls. But I pray, Lord, just for a little while, God, that we'd not be so consumed with what is going on that we'd miss the very thing you've prepared us for us, Lord, to help us with exactly what is going on. Lord, give us a, a heart and ears to listen this morning. And I pray that we'd not just listen to the preaching of the word of God, but we'd apply it. We'd live it. We'd put it into practice. And I pray, Lord, this morning, God, as the gospel's already been preached, it's already been presented in song and in testifying and testimony this morning, I pray, Lord, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, Lord, you'd save them by your grace. You've been working on their heart all week. God, you've been drawing them. They're trying to figure out what's going on. Lord, you just reveal yourself to them. And God, would you save them by your grace? Lord, we love you, we thank you, and God, we'll give you the glory, we'll give you the praise, for Lord, you're the very reason why we're here this morning. We came to hear from heaven, we ask you, Lord, you'd speak now, for thy servant heareth. We love you, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, and amen. Psalm 140 is a psalm of David, I, I've said it millions of times, I'm going to say it probably every time I preach, but I love the book of Psalms, 
It's one of those, it's in my life, it's when, when you know, you read Leviticus, you read Deuteronomy, you read those Old Testament laws, and you, you go through the familiarity of the Gospels, and, and sometimes, you know, you read it, it's good, but nothing's leaping off the page to you. It seems like every time I turn into the book of Psalms, there's something that is just waiting to hop off the page for me. It's just jumping off at the page at me, and I love the book of Psalms. Matter of fact, in my Bible, about this time last year, I preached out of Psalm 141, uh, some good things to ask for. How do you know, preacher? That's the one sermon that I wrote down in my Bible. I don't have a habit of doing that, but for some reason, I did that on August 10th of last year. But this morning, we're gonna look at this thought of deliver me, O Lord. Now, notice what he says here. There's, there's a group of people that he asked the Lord, David does, to deliver him from. He says, the evil man and the violent man. It says it once there in verse number one, and then it goes on to say it again in verse number four, the violent man and the wicked. And we often like to think, and I don't think we're wrong in our assessment, that those evil men, those evil people, those wicked men, those wicked people, those are the people that are not in church this morning. Right, those are the people in our society. They are outside the walls of our church. They are out there doing ungodly things. They're out there doing wicked things. They're out there doing wrong things. And we understand this morning that we do live in a world that is controlled. We do live in a world that is dark. We do live in a world that is that is just bound by sin. It is on every corner. It is on every part of our society. The, the stain of sin sinks far deeper than we realize this morning, but it is everywhere. But we often look out and we say, those are the wicked people out there. Those are the evil people out there. And here David has a simple request from God. He, it's really the same request, but he expresses it in different ways. The first part is, he says, deliver me. That word means a personal removal. It, it wasn't, Lord, take them away from me, but rather, Lord, take me away from them. And David will later go on and say, if I, had, if I had wings like a dove, I'd fly away. In the essence, this morning, sometimes in our life, we realize that they are going to be there. This is always going to be present. And sometimes our prayer request is, Lord, if you can't take them away, if you can't take them out, God, would you remove me from the situation? God, deliver me from those people. Then he says, keep me in verse number four. Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of of the wicked, that word is personal restraint. Put a safety belt around me, just like when you get in the car, you're to buckle your safety belt because if anything unordinary uh, uh, happens, a wreck or an accident, that thing is to keep you in a safe position and at a safe place. And here David said, Lord, would you please not only deliver me from them, but Lord, keep me from becoming them. Keep me away from them. Lord, don't let me uh, uh, get around them. Lord, build a fence around me. Lord, build a, a hedge of protection around me. Lord, keep me from them. Deliver me from them. Then he goes on in verse number four. He also says, preserve me. Preserve me from the violent man. That is personal protection. It is the image of sealing up every hole so nothing can get in and nothing can come out. It is sealed. We understand that when it's, it's garden time, it's, it's vegetable time, and, and there's those people right now somewhere, they are canning things, they are making preserves, they are putting up beans and pickles and all good kinds of stuff. You want something that'll change your life? Pickle zucchini. It is some good stuff, amen? But it's that preservation process, creating a seal. 
And here David said, Lord, preserve me. Seal me up from them. Don't allow them to come into my life. Well, why would David pray? And why would David ask, Lord, deliver me? Lord, keep me. Lord, preserve me. Why did David request this? Well, the answer to that is at the end of verse number four. Who have purpose to overthrow my goings. That word goings means my steps, my purpose, my plan. David said, Lord, keep me, deliver me, preserve me from the wicked man, preserve me from the evil man because, Lord, they are trying to overthrow my goings. But David would also tell us, and, and I believe it to be true in our hearts this morning, that my goings are no longer my goings. David said the Lord, and I think it's somewhere in the book of Psalms, Psalms 40, David said he established my Goings. God has established my steps. God has established my purpose. God has established my goals this morning. And here's David saying, Lord, deliver me, keep me, protect me from those who are trying to pull me away, who are trying to stop, who are trying to overthrow and conquer what you're doing in my life. And can I say this morning, I think we're right to say, Lord, deliver me from those people. Lord, keep me away from those people. Preserve me, protect me from those people, Lord, because they're trying to overthrow my goings. They're trying to overthrow, Lord, what you're doing in my life. You're trying to, Lord, they're trying to mess up everything that is going good in my life. I think we have a right to ask that, and we have, that's the right thing to do to say, Lord, I will not let them overthrow my goings. But can I say sometimes as saved individuals, we have the capability to think and act just like those people? to live just like those people, to be just like those people. Oh, not me, preacher. Can I say I have a certain attire on this morning? I'm carrying a King James Bible in my hand. I'm saved by the grace of God. And sometimes I can let my flesh win. I can let, my, I can let the old man rear up his ugly head and I'll find myself acting just like them. Sometimes it needs to be, Lord, deliver me from me. Lord, preserve me from me. Lord, keep me from me. Because we can look out there and say, I will not let those wicked people, I will not let those evil people overthrow the goings that God has placed in my life. But sometimes I gotta look at the mirror and say, I will not let you stop what God is doing in my life. Deliver me, oh Lord. Sometimes it needs uh, the Lord to deliver me from me and not just deliver me from them. I can overthrow my goings just as quick as they can. We need to ask the Lord to deliver us from the following dangers so we don't overthrow our God. I got three dangers this morning that we need to pray, Lord, deliver me from these. Lord, keep me from these. Lord, preserve me, protect me from these. Lord, not just from those out there, but Lord, from even my own heart. The Bible says our heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? But look at verse number one, or point number one this morning. Deliver me from mischievous imaginations. Deliver me from mischievous imaginations. Preacher, how do you spell that? Just like it sounds. Look at verse number two. He says, which imagine mischiefs in their heart. Now, we don't often don't connect in our modern day society the mind and the heart. Right to us, those are two separate entities. Those are your mind is in your brain. Your heart is that organ that pumps blood. It you know it beeps and it beats and it goes on. And when it stops, life is over. We often think they're working opposite of each other. 
right? You ever thought this or heard somebody say it or said it yourself? My brain is telling me no, but my heart is telling me yes. There's, as I'm growing older, I'm beginning to realize that the athleticism that I once had and the, the things I was once able to do with ease are not so easy anymore. They're slowly but quickly fading away in my life. And there's times where I, oh, 22-year-old Tate could do that. But 33-year-old Tate said, you better think about that. <laughs> my heart's telling me go for it. My brain's saying, hey, you better think about that. And we often think they're working opposite of one another. But when we get into the Bible, we realize when the Bible talks about the heart, it is talking about the mind of man. It is talking about the seed of our, who we are. It is, it is the essence of our being. What is your heart like this morning? It's so important that Proverbs also tells us in uh, chapter 4, verse 23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The biblical definition of the heart is the seat of our emotions, who you are, and we're instructed to keep it. What are we supposed to keep it from? Right, right here in Psalm 140, uh, mischievous imaginations. Well, look what it says right there. Imagine these, these evil men, these wicked men. We have the capability of, of allowing our imagination to become something that ought to be glorifying God, but through whatever reason, whatever means, it becomes something that is mischievous. That word mischievous means bad. Not good. Things that are bad. That word imagine means to think about. But it's not just a fleeting thought, right? You ever had something come into your mind like, where in the world did that come from? Where in the world did that come? I can't tell you how many times I'm going about my day and, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best to serve the Lord. I, I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm, I, I'm, I'm seeking the Lord and I'm just going about my day and out of nowhere a song that I haven't heard in 20 years all of a sudden gets stuck in my head. And where in the world did that come from? Right, those kind of thoughts, they need to be dealt with, no doubt. But that's not what David, and that's not what the Lord is talking about here when he says uh, uh, they imagine mischief. That means it gives the, uh, the understanding of an invention or one who takes an idea and makes it into a reality. Sometimes I'll see people do things. Some of y'all, I've been to the heart doctor with y'all, and, and they'll, they'll come in and they'll allow me to sit in the room with the family, and they'll tell me everything they did to your heart, and I'm just amazed by it. And thinking who in the world sat down and said you know what I can put something in your blood vessel that'll hold it open and I can do it while you're awake and I can do it so your heart will continue to beat can I say that's above my level of thinking <laughs> you come to me and say preacher could you put a stint in my heart listen we're not the answer to that is no but I can help you plan your funeral <laughs> if you're expecting me to do it but he's talking about these, uh, these, these bad thoughts that we allow to fester. We allow to grow. We, we, we imagine things. We, we allow it to come from just a, a fleeting thought into an idea that begins to control us. It's a captivating thought. It controls us. It consumes us. It's going from an idea to an instrument. How does one overthrow, how, how does one overthrow their goings? It starts with a bad thought. It starts with a bad thought. Now, we often think a bad thought is a very, very, very bad thought, right? As long as I don't have these very bad thoughts, then I'm okay. What are the very bad thoughts? Well, I could murder them in cold blood. That's a bad thought. Right? I could knock their lights out right now. 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna show them not to mess with me, right? Those bad, and we think, my, my thoughts ain't that bad, preacher. I must be okay. Can I say, as long as my thoughts are, are bad, or that bad, I'll be fine. No, it starts with one small bad thought. And it just continues to fester and grow. Things like this. I just don't think they like me. Now, all of a sudden, the body of believers that God has placed you with, they're no longer there to edify you. Now they become your enemy. One, let, one bad thought allowed to fester. I don't think the, the Lord cares about me. Well, we already dealt with that when he does. I can't forgive them. In your ability, no, you can't, but through Christ, you can. But we take one bad thought and we allow it, one mischievous imagination and we allow it to fester, and it changes our mind. And it overthrows the very goings that God has placed and purposed in our life. The steps that he's ordered for us, it, 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 we step off of them and go in our own direction. I read a story about a salesman who was traveling through, a, a, through country roads, and he was trying to get from one place to the next. It was uh, late in the evening, and as he was driving down the road, his tire pops. He pulls off to the side of the road, and looks at it and thinks, well, I'm going to have to change the tire. He opens up his trunk. There is no, there is no uh, tire iron, no, no what, what are those things called? A, a, a lug, whatever those things are called, right? <laughs> lug wrench. I thought that's what it was. I didn't want to sound like I didn't know what it was. But he's looking at his car, no lug wrench. Well, he looks off into the distance and he sees a farmhouse. And he says, surely a farmer would have a lug wrench. Now, it's late at night. We're talking 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night and he begins to walk to the farmer's house because he figured farmers have lug wrenches. As he's traveling there, he's thinking, man, I, I feel terrible. I'm, I'm going to have to wake this farmer up in the middle of the night and he's probably going to be upset and he's probably, probably sleeping good. He's got to get up early uh, to do his next day's jobs and, and he's starting to, I, I hope he doesn't get mad at me when I, when I wake him up at, in the middle of the night. And as he's walking, he says, well, you know what? If he knew what kind of condition I was in right now, it'd be very selfish of him to be mad at me for waking him up. Matter of fact, if he got mad at me for waking up, there's something wrong with him. I couldn't believe if somebody would get mad at somebody that they could help and who's in a, and is in a bad situation because, listen, uh, he's not in my situation. My, my car's broke down. I'm having to walk a mile to his house. He ought to wake up in a good attitude when I knock on his door. And as he's going on, he's just getting madder and madder at the farmer. In his mind, he's, he's been thinking about all this. He, he knocks on the door. He not just knocks on it, but he bangs on it. That farmer from the inside said, who is it? Who is it? That salesman, that salesman is so mad. He says, you know exactly who it is. And you know what? If you're not going to give me that lug wrench, I'm not staying. How dare you? And he just lays into him. Can I say this one? Sometimes that's how our thought life is. We begin to think about things that aren't even true. We have no evidence. We have no proof. And all of a sudden, just because one bad thought isn't put under subjection of Christ, we're mad at the people that God has put in our life. We're mad at what the word of God says about it. We're mad at what God is doing in our life. And we have no right to be so. David said, Lord, deliver me from mischievous imaginations. Let me ask you, just this past week alone, how would you describe your thought life? Were your thoughts mischievous? Were they beneficial to your goings? Did they encourage you to serve the Lord? Or did they give you excuses to get out? 
David said, Lord, deliver me from mischievous imaginations. Number two, he said, Lord, deliver me from a militant attitude. Deliver me from a militant attitude. Look at verse number two. So which imagine mischiefs in their heart, continually are they gathered together for war. That phrase, continually are they gathered together for war. There's a, there's a great deal, I think, this one. I'm, a, I'm what you call a military brat. I was raised up in a military home. My dad served 20 years in the U.S. Army. I was alive for the majority of them. We moved, he served, he fought, all of that wonderful. There's a lot of good things you can take away from looking at a military life and looking at the, the structure of a military life or being in the military. Well, if you think about discipline. Right, when I think about a United States soldier, I think of a soldier in the armed force, I think about discipline. Somehow, those drill instructors have the opportunity and the ability to take someone who has absolutely no discipline, and when they walk out of boot camp, they are disciplined. You ever heard someone say this? Well, the army sure did whip you into shape, didn't they? What are they saying? They're saying the army gave you discipline. The Marines gave you discipline, whatever the branch was, right? Well, well, preacher, what is discipline? Doing what is expected of you when you're expected to do it. And can I say in the Christian life, discipline goes a far way. It goes a long way when you're a dis- disciplined disciple of Christ. You do what God has, has con- uh, commissioned you to do, has instructed you to do, has commanded you to do. Why? Because he's commanded you to do it. You don't need accolades. You don't need encouragement. You don't need somebody back there patting you on the back. You're doing it because that's what God has called you to do. Can I say modern day Christianity would go a far lot, be a far lot better if Christians would be disciplined? Right, so discipline's a good thing. What about courage? Right, courage is doing the right thing in the face of adversity. Right, I, I, I'll, I'll hear stories about World War II. I'll hear stories about storming the beaches of Normandy. I'll hear stories about World War I, the battles of Iwo Jima, all those kind of things. And can I say, as a red-blooded American, my, my, I get goosebumps, my hair begins to stand up. I mean, I, I'm, I'm ready to say the Pledge of Allegiance. I'm ready to join up. I'm ready, I'm ready to celebrate the 4th of July in the middle of August. Right? those stories of courage, right? Because I step back and realize that those men and those women were willing to make an ultimate sacrifice for somebody like me. Courage is a, is a great thing, man. Imagine what the modern church would be like if we had Christians with courage who stood up in the face of adversity, who stood up to HR boards, who stood up to politicians, who stood up to family, who stood up to the society, who stood up to the public school, who stood up to you name it and said, you know what? That's not what the Bible says. We had courage. What about commitment? Doing what is expected of you as long as you're expected to do it. I remember my dad was in the military. We were stationed at, uh, at uh, Fort Carson in Colorado, Colorado Springs. And he had come to the place where he had filled out his required, he had, he had, you know, he had done his uh, required time and he had the choice to either retire or re-enlist. That's what I found out outside of times of draft that every person who joins the military, right, they do it through enlistment. They're, they're, a, they're a volunteer in that sense. In that sense, they didn't come into their house, grab them out of your house, and now all of a sudden you are in the army, right? You make the choice. You make the commitment, right? And imagine, once again, you think about our modern-day church. Imagine what church would be like and churches would be like if Christians were committed. If Christians were committed. If the pastor didn't have to send out at the FBI to find you on Wednesday nights. Or, you know, whatever it may be where you are committed to what God has put in your life and who God has put into your life. If parents were committed to raising their children for God, if families were committed to serve God together, it would be a whole lot better church, wouldn't it? Discipline, courage, commitment, those are all great qualities for every Christian to have. But that's not what's being applied here in verse number two. 
It's not what's being talked about here. David didn't say, Lord, deliver me from commitment. Lord, deliver me from courage. Deliver me from discipline. David said, deliver me. And Lord, don't allow me to become one who is continually gathered together for war. Those are great qualities, but what we're talking about here this morning, David is speaking of those who are continually and constantly coming against and fighting against him. They're always eager to pick a fight. They're always, they're always disagreeing. They're always arguing. They're always standing in opposition. As a Christian, listen, we are to be instruments of peace and unity when it comes to the church. Right? This, is not, this ought not be a place where we come and we, 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 we are constantly at war with one another, fighting with one another. As a Christian, yes, we are to stand for truth. We are to defend doctrine, no doubt. Listen, if I get outside of the word of God, if I get outside of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, if I start preaching baptism can get you into heaven, if I start preaching all this crazy stuff, hey, you're allowed to stop me. You're allowed to speak up against that. But this is not a place where we, we come and we disagree about petty things, small things, right? Well, preacher, I just want to let you know, I don't think the wall color is, is, is great. I, I don't like the wall color. Okay, I didn't pick it out. <laughs> Listen, if I had picked it out, ain't no telling what color we would have got. <laughs> Don't y'all like gray? Preacher, that is green. I'm sorry. Sometimes I can't tell the difference. <laughs> Thank God for somebody who had taste. They said, you know what? A good color would be. And I said, you know what? That does sound like a good color. Sweet sand. That's the color of the paint. But stand for truth. But don't become militant about personal opinions and standards. Preach, I'm going to split the church over, over what I think about this and what I think about that. I, I still, it stuck with me. All, I don't think I'll ever forget my Christian life. I remember going to church one time. It was a great service. Spirit of the Lord was here. God was moving. Spoke to my heart. Worked in my heart. A wonderful service. And after the service, I was shaking hands and, and talking to a couple that was here and, 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 and talking about how great the service was. And they're like, yeah, well, they said it was great, but I couldn't worship. I said, why not? They said, you didn't see that lady walk in here with pants on? I said, no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't come here to see them. Came to hear from the Lord. And, and listen, I, listen, you have your dress standards. You're going to have your opinions. That's great. That's wonderful. But remember, they're yours. Right? Remember, they are yours this morning. They are not means of division in the church. The driving force of a militant attitude is I and me. Right, everybody else likes the color of the walls, but I don't like that color, so I'm going to let everybody know I don't like that color. And what are you going to accomplish with that? Preacher didn't pick me to do something. I need to let everybody know that was a bad decision. That person made a mistake. I need to inform everybody about it. David said, Lord, deliver me from that kind of attitude because it's going to cause division when I ought to be striving for unity and peace. Don't be so eager to start a fight over things that aren't worth fighting for. And fighting over it. When we fight over menial things, nobody wins, everybody loses. <laughs> There's something that was, I seen it on Facebook a few days ago, and it was a, a meme that someone had made, and it had caused a lot of controversy. <laughs> and it was going back and forth. I mean, we're talking about Christian brothers yelling at each other, arguing with us over keyboards and all that kind of stuff. And I remember looking at them, they, they, they missed it. <laughs> They completely missed what the man was originally trying to say. They're arguing about things that the post has nothing to do with. It makes absolutely no sense. And so we were sitting on the couch, I think it was last night or night before that, and I jokingly looked over at Miss Becky. I said, Miss Becky, I'm going to get on Facebook. And I'm going to type my opinion up so it'll solve everything. 
And she said, I bet it will. <laughs> I was in high school. We were at an award ceremony. can't remember what year it was. It wasn't my senior year. Sometime before, but I was sitting on the gym. I had the whole, whole school in the gymnasium. We are having an award ceremony. supposed to be a, a nice time, a, a wonderful time. <laughs> I'm going to tell you how wonderful South Richmond County is. We were sitting there, and they were giving out the awards for different things, and out of nowhere, you hear the whole gym go, oh! I mean, one solid gasp. And then the next thing you know, you watch two girls start rolling down the bleachers, holding on to each other, punching each other. At awards day. Fighting each other. And man, I just remember standing like, this is crazy. They're rolling down, I'm talking about from the top bleacher all the way down to the gym floor. Rolling, punching, rolling, punching, rolling, punching. Two girls fighting each other. Middle of Wars Day. I just remember thinking, I want to see what the principal does with this. It just brought everything to a halt. I mean, parents are there. The school, all the students are there. And they are fighting each other. Finally, you know, security comes in. Teachers come in. They break it up. They take them wherever they took them to. And we finished our war so money. I remember a word coming out afterwards. We found out what the two girls were fighting over. Another girl. I mean, that's a whole can of worms right there. <laughs> but I thought, is that really the place to settle that argument? Is that really the best time to do that? <laughs> My mom's wanting to make sure I'm okay. I heard something happen at school today. Mom, stuff like that happens every day. <laughs> but can I say some things are worth fighting over? You, you stand for doctrine. And you stand tall for doctrine. You stand for truth. You stand tall for it. But if it's something menial, if it's, a, if it's an opinion, and it's a simple personal standard, let it be yours. And don't be the source of that militant attitude, always fighting somebody. Let me ask you, have you won any pointless battles that ended up causing any more damage than peace? Well, I've won some pointless battles, and it hasn't brought any peace about them. He said, Lord, deliver me from a militant attitude. Lord, deliver me from mischievous imaginations. Notice number three, this one, deliver me from a malicious tongue. Deliver me from a malicious tongue. Verse number three, they have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Adder's poisons is under their lips. It's one of those things I was talking about this morning. When I read that verse, I can see it in my mind. I just see the tongue coming out. It's sharp. It's razor sharp. And, it's, and you ever seen that snake's tongue? It's just one of those things that if your skin don't crawl when you see it, I don't know about you. <laughs> I want to have a snake as a pet. I don't. <laughs> not not going to condemn you for having a snake as a pet. I just don't want one as a pet. But deliver me, Lord, from a, a malicious tongue. Proverbs 15, 23 says, A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth. And a word spoken in due season, how good it is. Let me ask you, how do we use our words, or how we use our words can make a big difference, good or bad. Your words will either build someone up They'll break them down. He said their, their tongues are like a serpent's, uh, sharp like a serpent, or sharpen their tongues like a serpent. Adder's poison is under their lips. You realize when that venom is injected into the, the victim, it begins to break down their, their, their nervous system. It begins to break down their body. Lord, you, or the words you speak into somebody's life will either build them up or it'll break them down. And you have the choice in the matter. Right now, now, who established our goings? Well, it's the Lord, right? So at the same time, Lord, help me control my words so that my words don't overthrow what you're trying to do in my life. 
Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Boy, I wish that verse said you would know how to answer the good men, the favorable men, the men that like you, the people that you get along with. But Colossians says, here's how you answer every man. Remember being taught that that means you had to know the answer to everything in the Bible. It's not what he's saying there. What he is saying, here's, here's, here's the demeanor, here's the heart, here's the attitude which you should answer every man. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. <laughs> How many of you, there's some of those men that are hard to answer that way? There's some people in your life, for some odd reason, for some, something beyond your control, you have a hard time speaking peaceably to them. You have a hard time speaking with salt, with grace to them. The Bible said it wasn't just some men, but you're to answer every man that way. So preacher, why do I struggle with that? Why do I struggle with that sometimes? James 3, 6 6 says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. That little thing in in your mouth. I understand it's not just the muscle, right? Your tongue is just a muscle, right? But it goes back to your heart, right? It's what you form your words with. But the words that you formed are the meditations of your heart. And where your heart is is what you're going to say. And, how, and the condition of your heart is going to come out in your words. Preacher, why do I struggle with that? Because naturally, that is our natural reaction. You yell at me, I'm going to yell at you. You talk down to me, I'm going to talk down to you. Right? I, you, you say that about me, I'm going to say something about you. That's our natural reaction. That's what our tongue wants to do. But also, the tongue also talks about our tongue being controlled, being bridled, not allowing it to spew poison and to be sharp like the serpent. A sharp tongue produces doubt, disbelief, discouragement. A poisonous tongue produces disability, destruction, division. But a right tongue brings unity, help, encouragement. You can't build anything in that kind of environment. right? You can't expect God to do anything if those are the kind of words we're using towards each other. We can't expect God to build anything here if we're constantly cutting down one another, tearing each other down, tearing down what God's trying to do, messing, overthrowing each other's goings. Right? We have to have a, a, a tongue that is right. Proverbs tells us the results of a right tongue. 12, 18 says, but the tongue of wise of the wise is health. It gives life. It doesn't drain life. Proverbs 15, 12 says the tongue of the wise uses knowledge aright. It uses knowledge for education and for not tearing down. Proverbs 31, 26, it says, in her tongue is the law of kindness. Her words help. They don't hurt. Her words help. They don't hurt. Most snakes strike when they feel threatened. The same is true about us. We lash out when we feel threatened. We lash out for the same reason. Because when somebody speaks to us in that manner or acts towards us in that manner, in that split second we forget we are no longer our defense. The Lord is our defense. The Bible said they buffeted him. They ripped out his beard. They mocked him. Whipped him with a cat of nine tails. Went through all of that, and the Bible said he opened not his mouth. That's our defense this morning. He's our defense, not me. The glad day of my Christian life when I realized I no longer have to defend myself, but God will defend me. I do what is right. I do what God asked me to do, and God will protect me. God will defend me. <laughs> Can I say this morning, there's been people in our community and abroad who have said things about us, said things about me, said things about our church that I know aren't true. I know didn't happen. I know never took place. 
and yet I'll, it'll get back to me. Brother Tate, did this really happen? I said it probably did, but not at our church. <laughs> it didn't take place at our place. What'd you do, preacher? Did you go find out who said it? You corner them in a wall and you put your finger in their chest and said, you, you publicly come out and tell everybody what they, you said was wrong. No, I'll just let the Lord defend me and defend us because I don't have to prove them right because they're not my judge. They're not my, the one I'm going to, they're not my authority. God is. And I'll just step back and say, Lord, I did what was right. Can I say, it's sure as easy to go to bed at night when you've done right. When you've done right, it's sure as easy to go to sleep at night. Some of you are saying, preacher, I struggle with sleep. I, I struggle with, I'm not talking about physical needs. I'm talking about you'll be able to lay down. You may not be able to go to sleep, sleep, but you'll be able to lay down with peace in your heart. Knowing you've done what God has told you to do. Deliver me, Lord, from a malicious tongue. Let me ask you, think about your words this week. Have they tore down or have they built up? Lord, deliver me from a malicious tongue. Lord, deliver me from a militant attitude. Lord, deliver me from mischievous imaginations. Let's all stand this morning, every heart or every head bowed, every eye closed.